Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a full-time blogger? I know, some people are shocked by the idea that you could make a full-time income creating content online, but you really truly can. And as you guys probably know, I am absolutely obsessed with blogging and content creation, and I'm so over the moon excited to have fellow blogger Chrissy Carroll on the show today. Chrissy runs three different blogs for a living and is seriously one of the coolest people you'll ever meet. She's been blogging since way back when and has learned a lot, often through trial and error, about strategically creating content and promoting it so that it actually gets eyeballs on it and earns revenue. So today we have a nice fun chat all about life as a full-time blogger, how she makes money, what her typical week looks like, and her best advice for new bloggers getting started today. I've been dying to get this interview on the books, so I'm so excited to share it with you. And P.S., since we are talking about blogging, I am actually hosting a Make Money Blogging webinar this Wednesday, May 13th at 10 a.m. Pacific. And this is a free webinar where I'm going to walk you through six different ways that you can earn money online so that you can replace your nine to five and take back control of your time. So this webinar is for you if you feel stuck trading your time for money, you want to create more freedom in your life and business, you're ready to learn real ways that real people make money online. So in the webinar, I'll give some examples of dietitians who are absolutely crushing it in the online world. By the end of the webinar, you will have a clear understanding of six different online income streams, understand which income streams are the best fit for you, because not all of them are right for everyone, and why that is, and be excited about the insane possibilities that online business offers. So if you want to check it out, you can head over to theunconventionalrd.com, go to the podcast tab, and go into episode 19, that's this episode, and you can find the link to sign up right there in the show notes. Uh, It's going to be amazing. Last time I did this last year, I talked for a pretty long time, like almost two hours, I think, about this topic, but that's how in-depth we're going. Like, this isn't fluff content. This is me really pulling back the curtain and being like, hey, these are six real ways you can make money. Here are examples of people who are really doing it. Here's an overview of the pros and cons and like the tools you need to get started. And this is sort of a higher level preview of the topics that I will cover in my Make Money Blogging course, which is opening up um, on Wednesday for registration. And uh, it'll be open for about a week or a week and a half. Um, And then the price is going up when we kick off the live round of that course. So more information on that within the webinar. I'll talk about it again on the podcast next week. But please go to the show notes for this episode to sign up for the free Make Money Blogging webinar if you are at all interested in learning how to monetize online. It's a great way to diversify your income, give yourself some flexibility and also adaptability. I mean, talk about these crazy times we're in right now. Thankfully, um, those of us who have online income streams are weathering it kind of all right because we don't have to meet anyone in person. Everything's done through the internet. So really, really valuable information to learn about. Even if maybe you're not ready to implement, definitely come by, check it out, learn more. Um, Yeah, I'm here for you. So anyway, without further ado, let's dive right into the interview with Chrissy. 
Hi, Chrissy. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. I am just a super fan of yours. I am super impressed with your blogging journey and just like your overall attitude and refreshingness online. Um, yeah, I just feel like we're kind of friends, even though we've never met in real life, just like through Facebook. But I'm just excited to quote unquote meet you on Zoom today and chat more about your experiences with blogging. Yeah, I am super excited to be here. And uh, same to you. I feel like we've like been quote unquote friends for a couple of years now, but have never met in person. So kind of. <laughs> I, know. I feel like it's on me because I've literally never been to a nutrition conference. So I don't know how I'm supposed to be meeting all my RD friends, but maybe that will change uh, post pandemic. Um, so you are seriously one of those magical people who makes a full-time living blogging, which is amazing. That was my initial career goal. I kind of got sidetracked with online courses, but like blogging is so near and dear to my heart. I've been doing it since what, 2010, um, on and off. So I'm obsessed with the topic and can't wait to dive into it more with you. Um, so can you give our listeners some background today on your blogging journey? Like how long have you been blogging and what made you kind of get into it in the first place? Sure. So I started blogging actually same time as you, 2010. Uh, at that point, I had been working in school nutrition for a while uh, and I kind of had this like life-changing moment where my apartment burned down in a fire and I was like, I'm going to start my own business now. Like life is too short. So I ended up deciding to start my own business. Of course, at the beginning, did not know what the heck I wanted to do. I was doing corporate wellness. I was doing one-on-one -on -one nutrition. I was blogging, just kind of doing everything. Um, and the blogging really started, I wasn't planning on blogging at the beginning, but I had met with a business coach from uh, the Massachusetts Small Business Development Center. And she was like, I think you would make this amazing blogger. Like you should start blogging. And I was like, ah, this is stupid. Like, I don't want to be a blogger. And then I started doing it and I really just kind of fell in love with it. And so I kept like fumbling for a little bit after starting in 2010, just trying to figure out what I really liked doing. And eventually I really narrowed it down to corporate wellness, which I did for quite a while, uh, and then my blog. And so I don't have the same site that I had back in 2010. I rebranded in 2014, but uh, I've had that site now, you know, that's been six years that I've had it. So it's pretty awesome. What was the topic of your very first blog? So it was wrapped into my initial website, which was like corporate wellness slash weight management slash sports nutrition slash farmer's market ideas, like basically anything that I could think about right now. <laughs> that sounds about right. I think that's what most people do uh, with their blog in the beginning. And then, so with the rebrand in 2014, what do you blog about now? Sure. So I blog, I have a couple sites, but the, tw the one that's been around the longest is called Snacking and Sneakers. So it is all about food and fitness for active women, especially runners and triathletes. So there's a lot of running training plans and triathlon training plans, a lot of really good beginner friendly content. So like people that want to do their very first half marathon and want something that's not super overwhelming. Um, and then there's some sports nutrition content and healthy recipes geared towards that crowd. Cool. And what was the moment when you realized you could actually like make money blogging and it could maybe be your job? 
Yeah. So I was doing both the corporate wellness business and the blog back at that time. So 2014, 2015, um, my son was born in 2015 and life just got way busier than it was. And I really started seeing some traction on the blog at that time. And I kind of had to decide, okay, which direction do I want to go here? So in 2016, I went all in on the blog and shut the corporate wellness site down, corporate wellness business down, uh, and just decided to focus on the blog for real, try to grow the traffic, try to make passive income. And it took a while before I really did that well. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was kind of around the time I made the decision. Did you have any mentors or people that you looked up to that made you realize this was even possible? That's a great question. Uh, there, I mean, there were definitely bloggers in this space. So like uh, Alexis from Homo Sapien or Lindsay from Pinch of Yum, kind of those ones that I think are pretty big names now that were making a good income from blogging. And I was like, whoa, this is a thing. Uh, you know, I want to be these people. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, I think I paid attention to some of the, the bigger food bloggers, nutritional bloggers at that time. Yeah, same. I was like reading every income report, like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. I want this. <laughs> so how long would you say it took you? Um, I guess, I don't know if we're counting from 2010 or 2014, but um, once you, maybe once you started taking it seriously, like how long did it really take you to be able to make enough money to where it could be considered like a full-time income? Yeah. So I would say it was a pretty decent income in 2018. So kind of like from 2016, when I started taking it seriously, I was profitable. I would say 2018, it was pretty serious. 2019 was like, okay, this is a solid full-time income. Um, so it, it did take a little bit of time. There was like some floundering there for a bit, but yeah. Yeah. Which is again, for everyone listening, totally normal. <laughs> um, so then did you kind of gradually wind down your other side jobs or was there a moment you were like, I'm done and I'm going all in? Um, how did that look? So I did not stop my other side jobs until early 2019. I was still, I had left my school nutrition position back in 2011. Um, and I was working side jobs pretty much from 2011 until 2019. So I was an adjunct professor and I ran a program at a community college. And then I also would take just random side jobs. Like I was a, a search engine evaluator for uh, Lionbridge, which is like one of the companies that Google sources out to do the mat, like human search uh, results. So that was actually really helpful because now I know a lot of those things that went into how raters decide on search rankings and whatnot. So it was a very tedious side job, but it was actually very helpful for learning more about blogging and search engine optimization. How did you even get into that? It was one of those things where I was looking for something when my son was born right after I shut the corporate wellness business down. I was looking for something else to supplement income that I could do in short breaks, like when he would, I mean, he rarely napped, but when he did for maybe a half an hour, I could just do a little bit of time here. Or like if I got up early for an hour and somebody in a like baby center forum thread mentioned that they were doing it. And I was like, Oh, this sounds kind of cool. So you had to take this like big exam to prove that you understood the concepts of it. And then, yeah, you could just kind of log in and, and do your tasks whenever you had to do so many hours a week, but it was, 
it was great for what I needed it for at the time. Yeah. And like you said, uh, totally invaluable experience for you as a business owner. Yeah. I resonate with that a lot too. I also kept my side jobs till 2019, at least a little bit. I had like, I would write like one freelance article a month, like, and then I finally let it go. So lots, lots of parallels, I feel like in our timeline. Okay. So I was talking about, about blogging with another dietitian. And one of the things that comes up a lot is like, how the heck do you even find the time to work on your blog when you also have side gigs or maybe a full-time job? Like, how did you make it work? Yeah. So I think when I did this at the beginning, I probably made it work the wrong way, which was that I would just be like, oh, I'm going to write this like 400 word post and put it up there because I want to get content up and who cares what happens with it? Like somebody will read it. And so I just kind of threw a lot of stuff up. This is kind of back, you know, 2010 through 2016, probably. Um, and I would just, yeah, I would just put a ton of, of short, not probably great content up there. So that I would say is not the correct <laughs> way to do things. If you're looking to grow, uh, I would say definitely focus on quality over quantity at this point, really grasp things like SEO and Pinterest and focus down. I mean, my advice would be to focus down on those two things and let all of the other peripheral stuff like the Facebook page and Instagram and that kind of stuff. That's great if you love those things, but if you're really looking to grow traffic, I think Pinterest and SEO are really going to give the two biggest bang for your buck when you are limited in time. I totally agree. And just a little plug, Chrissy has a Pinterest course. So if anyone's looking to get better at Pinterest, definitely check it out. I would say that's something that's not a strong suit of mine. Like I haven't really focused a lot of attention on, but it's like on my list of things to do. So I'm excited to report back to everybody. Like after I've actually given it a go for a little bit, like what it can do for your traffic. I don't know. Do you have any insights or examples of like why it's important to focus on Pinterest for traffic? Yeah, I think Pinterest gives you really quick wins, which is nice when you start blogging. Uh, we all know that SEO, search engine optimization, takes a while, right? You're looking at three to six months before you really see traction with that. Whereas Pinterest, I mean, you could get lucky. You could put a pin up and all of a sudden it could go viral and you could get 20,000 views in a week just unexpectedly. That's more uh, the exception than the rule, but it, it does happen. And that's kind of what really drove home Pinterest for me at the beginning was I did have a couple viral pins and it, it was a little easier that back in the day, it was a little easier, but you, you still can see those successes somewhat quickly. So Pinterest can really give you those, those quick wins at the beginning. Yeah. I think I saw someone recently talking about how they just, I think it was a food blogger. They got onto Mediavine and one of the biggest reasons why was because they were going so hard on Pinterest. And I also think uh, sharing in Facebook groups, which obviously has to be done in a certain way. So you're not being spammy, but there are certain groups out there where you can share and potentially get a lot of traffic. So especially for recipes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, okay. Just to give our listeners a picture of where you're at now, um, can you tell us more about the different blogs that you're currently running and maybe share a little bit of the rationale to what made you want to start multiple blogs? Sure. So I have the main site still. I have Snacking and Sneakers. That's been around since 2014. That's my biggest site. Uh, I love it. I 
can spend a ton of time there because it's just a person, you know, personal passion of mine. I love running. I love triathlon. So it's really fun for me to be able to create content there. Uh, I have a secondary site called Dairy Free for Baby. When my son was born, he had a dairy, soy, and egg intolerance. So when I was nursing him, I had to cut all three out for a year. And it really gave me a look at what families with food allergies go through. We were lucky he outgrew everything in a year. But I was like, oh my goodness, I never realized just how hard this is to overhaul your whole diet, your, you know, everything that you're used to buying. And so at that time, I thought, you know, if I have time in the future, I really want to start another site to be able to share dairy-free recipes. And in particular, honestly, most of the stuff on my dairy-free site, it's it's desserts and things because that's what I really miss most. Like I knew for meals, I could have, you know, chicken and broccoli and those kinds of things, but I really miss the more indulgent stuff. And so that's what I had a lot of fun kind of developing during that time and now translating into blog posts there. So uh, that's the second site. The third site is called Build a Wellness Blog, which is just blogging and social media tips for other wellness entrepreneurs. Um, I don't spend as much time on that site. I kind of write on that site when I'm, when I feel inspired to, when I want to share something that's like relevant, um, or timely, but, um, I do have a Facebook group related to that site. And so, you know, I share blogging tips and helpful stuff there. That's just kind of a fun way for me to connect with other dietitians, other wellness entrepreneurs in the field. So those are the three sites I had, uh, or that I have. Um, my husband has a site as well. And so I, I ghostwrite on there a little bit too. Um, and then I do some, you know, occasional freelance writing. Super cool. And we'll link to all of that stuff in the show notes. Um, so yeah, everyone, if you just go to the unconventionalrd.com and then click on the podcast tab, you can find this episode, episode 19. Um, and then all the links to all of Christy's stuff will be there. Build a wellness blog is fabulous. Although you say that you don't spend a lot of time on it, the content there is so good. So it's worth, worth checking out. Um, yeah. Okay. So, okay. A, how the heck do you find the time to juggle all of those websites? Um, and how do you like prioritize? Working strategically. <laughs> I really don't waste time writing posts that I don't think will have a good chance of ranking on Google. Very occasionally, I might feel inspired to do like a random recipe or I, you know, I wrote a post recently on build a wellness blog about like what to do when you feel like everything's going wrong. Uh, so those are more kind of from the heart random posts that I'll do. But in general, I'm really strategically focused on what posts am I going to do that are going to give me the biggest bang for my buck as far as traffic? Um, what is getting good search volume, low competition. So I really try to focus on things that are going to be helpful uh, SEO wise. And then I try to divide my time up as far as where it makes sense. So on the days, I'm a mom, I have a five-year-old at home. Uh, he goes to school, well, he went to school two and a half days a week right now. We're all home. But he, when he was in school those two and a half days a week, on the days that he was there, I would focus on writing and projects and sponsored work. And then when he's home with me, I can have him help me with more of the recipe development and testing things in the kitchen and, you know, helping me do pictures or he'll hold up the whiteboard in the background. So um, I try to work strategically as, as far as maybe involving him in the things that I can do while he's home and maximize that time and then spend the more focused work time on things that, that deserve that additional focus. That makes a lot of sense. 
Uh, I think about you a lot when I'm doing keyword research because I'm like, oh, dairy-free, dairy-free, it's everywhere. Like, <laughs> it's such a good niche for finding good keywords. <laughs> that and like, can a dog eat blank? Like, those, <laughs> those are everywhere. Um, some Someone needs to make that website. Um, <laughs> It's funny because I have a blogger friend that uh, also has a dairy-free site. And so I feel like when each of us are doing keyword research, it's just like the other person coming up in the Google, the top 10 Google results. And we're like, oh, but we always hope that we'll take number one and two together. So. Right. <laughs> um, so can you share for the people listening, like how do, does someone actually make money from their blog? And maybe what are the ways that are most successful for you personally? Yeah, I think that there's a, a lot of ways to make money. I think there's a couple pretty common ones. So the first one that I would say is uh, great because you can start it really at any point would be affiliate marketing. So you can use affiliate links where if somebody clicks on it and they buy something, you earn a percentage of that sale. Uh, and that's great because you can start it from the, from the beginning. You don't have to have a minimum traffic threshold for most affiliate programs. Uh, the second way would be sponsored content where that's like working with brands to highlight their product or their service on your website. So whereas with affiliate marketing, you're getting a commission-based fee on a sale with sponsored content, you're earning money up front uh, and you're creating content around that program or service. And then the third way would be ads. So ad revenue, uh, I'm a huge fan of Mediavine. I have them on um, both Dairy Free for Baby and Snacking and Sneakers, and we have them on my husband's site as well. They are just such a great ad network to work with, uh, but obviously you need some traffic before you can get there. So with a first site, it's generally around 25,000 sessions a month, and they're just fabulous to work with, though, that if you get to that level, um, it, it's great passive income to have from the ads. And some people, you know, I just want to put, put this out there. Some people may not like ads, right? A lot of people forget that ads are based on your search history. For the most part, there, there's some weird stuff with California laws and GDPR and everything. But um, so people will say like, oh, well, you had an ad for, you know, this on your website. Like, are you okay with that? Uh, and for the most part, I am, you know, if somebody's searching for Reese's peanut butter cups and they search that and they want to buy them, then yeah, that might show up on my sidebar. I think that most people understand what an ad is on a website. So while I wouldn't take a sponsored content piece for, well, maybe, I don't know. I love Reese's, so maybe, <laughs> but I, you know, it's more normal that it would show up in an ad and people would understand that it's an ad. So, right. Like an ad's not an endorsement. Exactly. Exactly. But some people aren't comfortable with that and that's okay too. Like you might choose that that doesn't fit and that's okay. There's other ways. So affiliates, sponsored content ads, and then the other segment would be using the blog as leverage for either one-on-one -on -one services or digital products or courses or things along those lines. So what was the first income stream that you implemented on your blogs? Mine was sponsored content on the main site. Uh, on the other two sites, I did affiliate marketing from the start and then Dairy Free for Baby, we added ads on when it got to the threshold there. So yeah, sponsored content on the main site. And then now today, like now that you have a lot, decent number amount of traffic on pretty much all your sites, like what's the breakdown? Like which one brings in the most revenue? 
the main site definitely brings in the most. That's kind of the breadwinner there. Um, I would say the breakdown, I looked it up beforehand. So the breakdown for last year was around 40% sponsored content, 20% ads, uh, about 15% affiliate marketing, and then a little bit from freelance, a little bit from one-on-one, -on -one, a little bit from speaking, kind of, you know, all the other drops in the bucket there. But it, but the big, the big ones are sponsored content and ad revenue. Um, I think that, well, it was on track to shift a little bit in 2020 until everything that's happened recently has happened. So um, it was on track to be a little bit higher as far as ad revenue coming in because we, we did have it across three different sites now and that was gonna be great. But uh, obviously with coronavirus and whatnot, the advertisers are spending less money and so you're making less per visitor on your site, um, understandably so. So I'm not sure how it'll end up panning out for this year, but yes, for last year, mostly sponsored content and ad content. That's so helpful, I think, for people listening. And I think, again, just, I mean, I don't want to ask you to share numbers if you're not comfortable sharing numbers, but I just want to highlight, like, this is full-time income. Like, this is enough money. Like, you don't have to have another side job. So if you like creating content, I hope this excites you and makes you feel like you could do this as well if you want to create a blog and make an actual living from it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that people think that a lot of times that a blog is like, oh, that's, I just do that as a side to my private practice. But if you don't like private practice or that's not your thing, this really can be a full-time income stream. Yeah. I remember listening to the Food Blogger Pro podcast like years ago when I was still doing all my side hustles and would like drive around. Um, I always had that on in the car and I remember them talking about how they moved into this like exclusive fancy gated community or whatever, where there's all these CEOs and someone was like, oh, what do you do? And they're like, oh, we run a food blog. And they're just like, oh, like, you know, patting you on the head, like that's sweet. Like, <laughs> they're like, no, really? Like, this is a real business, you know? So it definitely can be, um, even if it has the impression of being more of a hobby. Yes. And people will, I mean, they say that all the time. Like if I'm in a mom's group or something or at an event with my husband and people say, oh, what do you do for work? I'm a blogger. And they're like, oh, like that's cute. You know? but I, and then sometimes people just be like, how do you make money? You know, they're like super intrigued by it. So it, it's, yeah, it's a funny conversation starter for sure. Totally. Um, so do you, do you think you'll ever expand into any of those other um, monetization channels like a product or something like that? Or you think you're going to keep it with a more, I mean, obviously sponsored content's not really passive, but you know, like ads and affiliate income and that type of stuff. Yeah. I have some digital products. Like I have an e a couple eBooks and I have the Pinterest course and whatnot. So there's a couple of them floating around. I probably just need to do a better job advertising those to bring the income up on them a little bit. I did write a cookbook this year, so that'll be out at the end of May. So that was something new for me for this year. Um, but yeah, I really, I mean, I really enjoy, I love, I love working with sponsors. I have great sponsors that I work with. Uh, so I really like the, the brands that I partner with and enjoy that side of things. And I, I love I mean, SEO and keyword research, that's totally my jam. I love growing the traffic and seeing the ad revenue go up that way. So I definitely think those are probably going to continue to be my two biggest income streams. Yeah. And just from my personal experience, 
to do a course well, it it takes up your time. <laughs> and then uh, there's some sacrifices to be made maybe on the other front. So um, unless you have a team or help, you know, so um, yeah, I can relate to that <laughs> for sure. I guess before we move on from this topic, I think people listening might be curious to hear like, oh, sponsored content, that sounds really cool. How the heck <laughs> do you land a sponsor for your blog? Yeah, I there's a, there's a couple of different ways to go about it. Uh, so the hope I think that everybody wants is that somebody will just reach out to you and you'll naturally partner up with them. And that that's amazing. And that does happen occasionally. At the beginning, it's probably not going to happen super frequently. I get a lot more outreach now that you know I have a, a bit of a bigger site. Um, so that would be avenue one. Avenue two would be using some type of blog network. I did do that a lot, you know, back in 2014. I used those networks. They are far lower paid than you will get if you are negotiating with a brand directly. So just keep that in mind. Some of them do have decent uh, fees. And sometimes, even now, sometimes something will come up on a network where maybe it's a brand that uh, I really wanted to work with and I couldn't find a contact for them. And it might be a, a good avenue for me to, you know, make that introduction and start things. So I do still keep an eye on them, even though I don't really use them super frequently anymore. But blog networks would be things like Influence Central or Social Fabric or uh, Clever. You know, there's a bunch of them out there. Can you just really quickly explain like, what is that? What are, is the company doing for you? Like, why are they kind of taking a cut of the money? Yeah, great, great question. So essentially they're kind of like conglomerating opportunities into one spot. I don't even know if that's the word, but they're bringing a lot of opportunities into one place. And so they have the brand connections and they'll basically put up, you know, oh, we have these different opportunities and they'll have them on the website and you can kind of quickly click and apply for things. And it's usually a very short, like, here's a paragraph on why I think I'd be a good fit. And yes, I accept the amount of money that they're offering and the terms and everything. Um, so again, the rate is lower because they're, they're the middleman. They're taking a cut of that. Uh, but it is very easy to apply for some of those. Um, you do have to, these days it's, it's a little bit different because the terms in a lot of them, they really want a lot of rights to the content. You know, they want, your name and likeness and all of these different things that at the beginning I, I never considered. Um, just know that sometimes you, you can push back on those things, even with networks. Um, I push back on them a lot with individual brand partnerships, but a lot of people think, oh, just, you know, it's a blog network. There's no flexibility there. And I've had success in, in getting modifications to things on there. So just keep in mind that you can always reach out and talk to the contact there directly. Uh, if you want to. So yeah, they're, they're kind of a middleman that brings a bunch of opportunities together. That's a really good tip. And I think that helps clarify for everyone listening. And then I was, I'm assuming you were about to say like, or you could connect with them directly. Yes. yes. And that would be my biggest recommendation as far as how to develop really good long lasting partnerships. That's been something that I've been really lucky with the last couple of years that I've been able to cultivate relationships with a couple of brands that now I've worked with, you know, long-term for three or four years. And it's just, it, that's so valuable because 
A, if you can build this year-long contract, you know you're going to have so much work throughout the course of the year. And B, it's good for your audience. Like if they're consistently seeing, oh, she works with like these three brands and these are the three things she recommends, um, and you're not doing a ton of like, this week I'm talking about this, and next week I'm talking about that, and like swapping from one thing to another, if, if you're constantly doing one-off stuff and switching brands and all of, you know, working with competitors and all these different things, it does feel sometimes a little inauthentic maybe to, to an audience. Whereas if you're working with a similar set, you know, of brands and you're consistently sharing them, people will just come to understand that you really love those things and you really just want to be able to share them. So definitely reaching out to brands directly. I will say my biggest successes with all the brand partners that I have right now, all my long-term brand partners has been meeting them in person. Um, so like one brand that I work with, I, had pitched them on something digitally. They completely ignored me. I like never heard from them. And then I met them in person at this event and we got stuck at the airport together with delayed flights. And like we had tacos and margaritas. And next thing you know, we've got a year long contract outlined. And sometimes it's just that human connection. We forget that like we do business with humans. And when you meet people in person, whether it's at Fancy or a food expo or something like that, you can start to develop that relationship. Um, I'll give one more tip on, on that note for brand partnerships. When you're making those connections and starting those relationships, think about reaching out to those people for something other than just, hey, can we do a sponsored blog post? Can we get work together? So like if I meet a brand and they mention to me, oh yeah, we're thinking about doing more Pinterest marketing, I might send them like a couple quick tips or a helpful article about Pinterest marketing or something that's going to be useful for them that I'm showing them that I can provide some value to the relationship. Um, and I think that sticks out in people's minds. There's a really good book called The Go-Giver Sells More and it kind of really made an impact on um, me as far as trying to really be helpful for others um, as far as those brand partnerships. Mm, I'll have to look at that one. I've never read that book. Um, but yeah, that's a really good tip because that was literally going to be my next question. Like, what do you, you just walk up to them and be like, hey, I have a blog. You know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you build a relationship without just jumping in with the ask? But yeah, you basically answered it. So thank you. Um, yeah. And that's so funny that you just mentioned that story about getting stuck at the airport because <laughs> really weirdly that a similar thing happened to us when we were flying out of LA. We were on sitting next to a girl who worked for a food company who was supposed to be at Expo West, but it got canceled because of everything happening. Um, and so we struck up a conversation and exchanged business cards and like, you're so right. Like that's, it can totally happen like that. So yeah. Um, all right. So kind of switching gears. I'm just curious, like what is your favorite part about blogging full-time? I mean, I love the keyword research. I know everybody hates that. People do not like it, but that is totally my thing. I can get, I use key search. I can get lost in it for hours. I have probably like 600 keywords in a Word document right now that I should write blog posts on at some point. Definitely have more ideas than I could probably ever use, but like I love going in there every day and just trying, it's like a treasure hunt, like trying to find those diamonds in the rough. And when you find one that you're like, oh my gosh, I know I can rank for this. It's just like so fun and exciting. 
I know I'm like smiling really big and you can't, you guys can't see me, but like, I am the same person. Like, <laughs> like if I could just spend all day doing keyword research, I would. So I, <laughs> yeah, I agree. And it's so funny. Like even in, I'm sure both of our communities where we talk more about blogging, it's like, there's definitely a dichotomy. I don't know if it's a personality thing, but there's like the people who are diehard all about keyword research. And then there's some people who are like, oh my God, this is like the most frustrating thing I've ever done. <laughs> so it's just so funny how like some, it just naturally hits for some people and then other people would like probably gladly outsource, <laughs> which is true about anything, but I just think it's funny. <laughs> um, so what does like your day-to-day life look like? Since probably most people listening don't know anyone who's a full-time blogger. Sure. I would say I, I kind of divide the tasks up between keyword research, uh, recipe development, testing and photography, and then writing. Uh, those are like the three big things. And then social media scheduling. I, like I said, I focus mainly on Pinterest. I don't do as much with Facebook or Instagram. So, uh, I will do a lot of Pinterest scheduling on Tailwind, like, at night while I'm watching something on Netflix, you know, it's not something that requires a a high level of focus. So I can kind of get that done, uh, in the, the fringe hours there. But yeah, I think most of the day is generally, okay, what, what do I have to write about today? What projects do I need to do? Brand pitching is another thing. So if I have, you know, lost a brand partnership maybe, or like during these times where people are pulling budgets back, trying to think more creatively about how I can work with some of those brands or different different projects maybe we might be able to do. Um, so for one of my brand partners, we were supposed to do an in-person event and we're shifting that to be a virtual event now. And so today I was working on the framework for that event and how, you know, what that's going to look like now that it's virtual and not in person. So I think that, um, yeah, doing, I mean, mainly it's recipe testing, photography, writing, and the keyword research. Those are the the big tasks that I spend most of my time on. And how often do you post new content on your website? Ideally (laughs) on snacking and sneakers, I try to get one to two posts up a week. It's, it really depends on what else I have going on in life. So when I was doing the cookbook, I probably did not get as much posted there, but generally I'm pretty good with one to two times a week on that site. On Dairy Free for Baby, I try to get up one post a week. And then on Build a Wellness Blog, it's more when I have time or when the inspiration strikes. Totally. And I don't know if people listening are aware, but not every single thing you put out has to be 100% brand new. It could also be going back to something that's older, maybe not as optimized, or you want to switch it up a little bit, improve it, maybe redo the photos or whatever. So that can be a way to put out more content that maybe doesn't take quite as much time. Yeah. I mean, before I learned about SEO, I have probably 300 old blog posts that are not well done. And so little by little, you know, you prioritize the ones that make the most sense to update, but that's definitely a great point about updating. My, my old photos were horrible. So updating all the photos and adding more relevant content besides like, Hey, I made this recipe and it's good. Boom. Like that's it. So trying to add some more stuff to that. Do you hire anything out or is it a one woman show right now? It is for the most part a one woman show. I will occasionally get a VA to help me with certain things. So I had a VA that worked with me who was great, who did 
just a bunch of Pinterest images. So one of the big pushes with Pinterest this year is fresh pins, right? They want new images for stuff. So I basically just gave her a list of a bunch of different blog posts that I had, which only had one pin image and asked her to just go create new pin images for all of them. So that was really helpful because it didn't require, you know, like my focus or kind of my zone of genius there. And she was able to get that done for me. Um, occasionally, if I'm in, there's a couple VA content selling type groups. So occasionally if I see maybe an article topic that I think will work well for one of the sites, I might buy that and then I'm generally adding on to it pretty comprehensively, but sometimes it gives me a nice framework to start with where I don't have to do as much writing on my own. Uh, and then I do hire out for training plans, which has been a very interesting process, but I hire out for training plans on snacking and sneakers for a couple of the more specialized training plans. So I'm a, I'm a USAT certified tri coach myself, but um, for certain things like for uh, obstacle course racing or an advanced Ironman plan where maybe I don't feel as comfortable with that or it would just take me a long time to, I'll hire out for a co another coach to do those plans. And looking back, what are some of the major things that you really helped contribute to your blog or helped contribute to your blog's success? At the beginning, it was definitely Pinterest. I, I had a pin go viral a couple months into blogging and I was like, wow, like this is amazing. It comes up in my Facebook memories every year where it's like, this has been pinned 10,000 times. It was so exciting. So definitely Pinterest at the beginning and then definitely learning how to do keyword research, uh, which I kind of started doing that back in, I think, 2017. That made a huge difference for growth because Pinterest helped me grow to a certain level and then I was stagnant for a bit. And then the keyword research and focusing on SEO really made all the difference as far as kind of continuous growth since then. So I would say those are the two biggest things. And then the other one would be just like not giving up. Most people, when they start blogging, they think, or I, I don't want to see most people think it's a quick success, but I think most people don't realize just how long it takes. And so one of the things that I've seen with a lot of fitness bloggers, food bloggers, nutrition bloggers is they start and they go at it. And then like in six or nine months, they give up because they're not seeing a ton of success yet. And really, like if you stick with anything for five to 10 years, you're eventually going to get it right. So I think just sticking with it is really helpful. I've, I know I've already like had a podcast episode on explaining keyword research and stuff in as much as I could, but can you give us kind of your summary of what keyword research is and like why that helps grow traffic? Sure. So keyword research in my eyes is looking for things that people are actually searching for. So things that have a decent search volume and then things that aren't really competitive to rank for. So as an example, uh, when I started blogging, I have this amazing post on butterbean blondies and they're delicious and the pictures are nice in them, but nobody searches for that term. So I get some decent Pinterest traffic from it, but it's not something that anybody is finding on Google, except maybe like the random people who have seen me make that recipe in the past and want to find it. Um, on the flip side, if I did a recipe for like chicken noodle soup, that's great. Lots of people are searching for that, but I'm never going to outrank Food Network or Ellie Krieger, you know, these big name people that are ranking for chicken noodle soup. So it's kind of about finding the things that check off both boxes. People are actually searching for them and it's not super competitive to rank for them. 
Yep. And then for people who didn't catch it earlier, um, a very moderately priced tool that you could check out is key search that would help with this. And I know you have a tutorial on it on your blog. So I will put that in the show notes for people who want to check it out. Um, but yeah, so, cause some pe times people are like, okay, but like, then how do I figure all that out? Well, you use a tool and it tells you everything right there. So, so like just trying to circle it back around and what that looks like day to day. So you spend some time at some point doing all that keyword research, and then you have your ongoing list of kind of ideas. And then that's how you kind of plug it into your schedule every week. Like these are the recipes I'm going to develop and photograph and then write the blog post and then publish them and then put them on Pinterest and <laughs> schedule them on social media. Yeah, that is it. That's all. <laughs> that's it. And do you have an email list too, or um, is it mostly social media? I have email lists for all the sites. I am not very good at email marketing. And it is one of my 2020 goals to become better at that, uh, especially right now with everything going on where we've seen like different traffic changes. Like for snacking and sneakers, they've seen a drop in traffic because nobody's looking for training plans right now because there's no races for anything. So it's been very interesting for me and, and really kind of pushing me towards wanting to do more email marketing. So that's definitely something on my list for this year. Interesting. Interesting. I, I, and you're so right. Like we can never predict the future. So like just having, you know, a variety in how we get our traffic and things like that is always a good idea. And sometimes, you know, it takes something, some crazy Google algorithm update or a pandemic to remind you. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any specific moments you can remember along your blogging journey where maybe you made a mistake or a misstep that you're like, oh, I really wish that someone had told me about this earlier or, you know, something that you could pass on to our beginner bloggers who might be listening? Sure. I have two. The first is getting too wrapped up in what other people think. Uh, so that at the beginning, I remember getting like the first rude blog comment and like crying and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not a good writer. Like this person is so mean. And now I get a lot of them and it's really easy to just let it roll off your shoulder. I think the more you get used to that, the easier it is. So I have up in my office, there's a thing on my wall and it's like, wolves don't lose sleep to the opinions of sheep. And I just try to remember that, um, that you're going to get rude comments, no matter what you write about, no matter how much you straddle the line of like balanced opinions, there's always going to be somebody who's just rude to be rude. So, uh, that would be one, not just don't worry about as much what other people think. The second thing would be to uh, the mistake that I made was focusing too much on me at the beginning. So back, I mean, back in 2010, when I was blogging, like search engine optimization wasn't really as big of a focus for people. And a lot of blog posts were more diary style. Hey, here's what I ate today. Here's what's going on in my life, that kind of thing. And I think I spent too long doing those even maybe after I realized it wasn't the best thing to do and uh, didn't really shift to more reader focused posts until later in the game. And I think that that's really important. Like you can weave in personal details details, you can weave in stories to connect it, but really your reader wants it to be about all about them. You know, you want to solve a problem for them, whether that's a recipe that's going to help with their needs or whether that's a training plan, that's exactly what they need at that point. So I would say that would be the second thing, try to make it focused on them. Oh my gosh. I agree a thousand percent with both of those things. <laughs> yes. I'm glad you brought them both up because I don't think we've touched on those too many times, but, um, 
really, really, really great points for bloggers at any stage of blogging, to be honest. I remember when I started out, I I would get email notifications of when someone joined my list or my email list or unsubscribed, which is the worst idea in the entire world. Turn that off. Because like, I similarly would be like, oh, Betsy from Iowa, like unsubscribed from my list. Like, what am I doing wrong? But like, it's so normal and it is not personal at all. <laughs> you know? I'm going to tell you the first time somebody unsubscribed from my list, I like sent them a personal email and was like, what did I do wrong? I swear. And they were like, nothing. I just don't have time for this right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that's all part of the growing process. And thank you for sharing that because there's probably someone listening who's like, oh man, I did that too. Um, so, okay. And the last like tip piece of advice I wanted to ask you about was what if someone feels like they really have been giving it their all and they're trying and they're blogging and they're putting out content, but something isn't aligning and they feel like maybe they're not getting as much traffic or growth as they were hoping um, what would you suggest they look at or what are some actions maybe they could take to move the needle? I mean, I think ask for advice from somebody, whether it's in a Facebook group or whether you're hiring somebody for one-on-one -on -one advice, if you feel like you're doing everything right, like maybe there's a technical problem that you don't know about that exists on your site, or maybe you feel like you're doing it right because you followed the advice of somebody and at that time, perhaps it was the right thing to do. And now maybe it's a little bit outdated. So I would say just ask for help. I think that's the best thing you can do if you feel like you're really spinning your wheels and you feel like you've really gone above and beyond yourself and learning what you think will move the needle and it's just not working. And that's a good point too. Like things move so fast in the, in the internet world and blogging and online business in general. Speaking of moving fast, I, I know this is totally off topic, but TikTok is like the new thing. Yes. Yeah, which I think I am so not an early adopter of anything. So I um, admire people who are, even though at this point, it's not even really early adopting, like it's been around for a while, but I, it's so cool. Like I see people sharing and they're like, oh, my video got like a hundred something thousand views, which is crazy. So can you just like share what your experience with TikTok has been? Like, do you think it is like a worthy platform to check out if people like to make video? Is it hard to make video? Like yeah. just any insight. It is, it's not hard to make videos. Um, I love TikTok. I hate Instagram and I love TikTok. So I think um, TikTok is, to me, feels like sillier, more authentic, and more off the cuff than Instagram. My pet peeve with Instagram is that everything's like very filtered, very aesthetic, very picture perfect. And, and I know not everybody is like that, but I think just in general, like that's how I feel. That's how I perceive it. TikTok is just like craziness and silliness and entertainment all wrapped into one. And it's just a place I feel like that you can have fun and really be yourself. The videos are very quick to create. Like you'll want to spend a little bit of time in the app to get an idea of like the culture and the trend. You know, there's a lot of trending things or challenges or specific dances maybe that are going on, but like you don't have to dance if dancing is not your thing. Like that's okay. Um, the more that you interact with the things that you're interested in or the things that you're going to be posting about in the algorithm, the more that stuff will show up on your for you page. So I think a lot of people join TikTok and they're like, this is all 14 year old kids. Like, why am I on here? But 
on my for for you feed, like the main feed that I see, I'm sitting here scrolling imaginarily on my handphone as I'm describing this, but when you're scrolling through the videos on your feed, now I see mostly dietitians and doctors and fitness experts and things along those lines. So it's actually like a super valuable place for me to be and explore as well. Um, so just keep in mind that the more you interact with those kinds of things, the more you'll see of that on your page. So don't be discouraged if you go on and you're like, I don't fit here. I'm not like a 16 year old dancer, you know? <laughs> That's super insightful. I didn't even think about that. I just downloaded it like my second week of self-quarantine after we got back from our trip. And um, I I didn't even realize like that's how it worked. Like you open it and it is just kind of like you just keep scrolling and there's new videos like endlessly, I guess kind of like how um, like your Instagram feed is where it could keep going on forever, except you don't even have to be following the people. It's just like, which I feel like is probably part of why the reach is good because <laughs> you could technically pop up on someone's scrolling feed of videos at any time. But yeah, I was dying laughing like at the videos that were coming up and I closed the app after like 30 minutes, like being thoroughly convinced that quarantined bored people are geniuses. So <laughs> yeah. And I think there was some data that got passed around it in a Facebook group that I'm in and I'm in two TikTok ones. So I'm not sure which one it was in, but it um there was something along the lines of like the average TikTok user spends like 60 minutes a day on the app in bursts of 12 minutes a piece. So I mean that's insane. When you think about spending 60 minutes with volume on listening to things over the course of the day, it's just it's crazy to me and fun and cool. I was totally annoying my husband, like being like, oh my God, watch this one. Oh, this one's so good. And he's like, I'm playing my video game, okay? <laughs> So yeah, it's on my list of things, but I have to figure out like, cause I want to kind of use it in a business sense and I'm sure there's businessy people on there, but I just need to like explore and figure out like, what would I even post, you know, like what would be the format? So yeah, there's a lot you can do. I mean, if you go to some of like the businessy hashtags, you'll see people and you'll, I think you'll start to get ideas for the type of content you could put out there um, for nutrition stuff, you know, nutrition, food content, all of that. Um, there's a lot you can do with that. You can do, I do a lot of quick form recipes. So like, you know, a recipe that's easy and done in eight to 15 seconds on there where it's just quickly edited together. You can do nutrition education content where you're sharing just quick little bursts of information. Like I did one about star fruit the other day, you know, and it's just quick 10, 15 seconds and you can put text overlays on and do it to music and stuff. So it's, it's really fun and it's not super hard to, edit the videos. The editing is native within the app. There's some editing tools in there. So it makes it pretty quick and, and easy to put together a video. I think that's my hiccup. I'm like coming at it from the like highly produced, like, like, you know, what I envision seeing like tasty videos on Facebook, but it's so not like that. It's so much more normal. So I need to start getting with the program. Yeah. It's me with my cell phone. Like here, I'm making kale chips, mixing it up, putting it on a pan, coming out of the oven. That's it. You know, quick and easy. So any final tips to wrap up the episode? Um, if someone is aspiring to be a full-time blogger that you'd like to share? I think just what I said before, stick with it. If you really love it, stick with it. And if you don't, it's okay to give it up. Don't feel like you have to do it endlessly just because you started it. But if you do truly love it, stick with it long enough, learn about SEO, learn about Pinterest, 
get those two strategies under your belt and it's it's a time game you just keep putting in the time keep staying up to date on those kinds of trends um or not trends but stay up to date on what's happening in the world of seo and the world of pinterest any changes that are coming with those and yeah you'll you'll see that success over time and for any i'm going to plug my own newsletter here because i try to send out updates if anything is changing in the world of specifically like seo or online business i try to let people know in my weekly newsletter so you're not on it yet which a lot of people aren't. So check it out at theunconventionalrd.com. There should be opt-ins like all over. And then you have something to share for people listening today, right? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I have a 30-day SEO challenge ebook, um, which is actually like a really great lead-in to Erica's SEO course. Um, it's kind of the thing where if you're not sure you want to like fully invest yet, but you want to maybe dip your toes in and see if it's the right thing for you. I feel like the, the SEO challenge ebook is like a great middle of the road option. So it's only $10. You can buy it on my website at buildawellnessblog.com. It's right there at the top 30 day SEO challenge. And it just brings you through day by day tasks of what you can do to improve your SEO. Some of the day-by-day -day tasks will be a little bit shorter. It might be brainstorming something. Some will be a little bit longer where you might be writing an entire post. Um, so you can kind of spread it out as to what feels right for you. But if you kind of stick with it over those 30 days, I think you'll make a lot of progress. I did notice that at one point, maybe earlier this year, you were like putting these out as prompts like in your Facebook group and then compiled them into everything in one like, workbook almost to go through. So I can vouch and say that they're really good tips, but for anyone listening, like you could do that too. Like you could like come up with 30 like actionable small tips, bundle it into a little ebook and sell it on your website. I think it's such a good idea. Um, has the reception been good? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's been pretty good. Like I said, I don't do a particularly great job of marketing my products. It's something that I need to improve upon, but it, the reason I put together the ebook is I wasn't planning on it. And then when I started the challenge in the Facebook group, I realized, wow, I have a lot of content here. And it's silly for this to just sit here and go to waste. So it made sense to compile it. I mean, the ebook's like 80 pages long. It's not super short. It's a ton of content. So it's it was a great way of um, breaking it down into day by day for me that then I realized I had so much content that could be put into this ebook. Great, great example of strategic repurposing because we all need to probably be doing more of that rather than reinventing the wheel for every single thing we do. So I hope everybody got so much value out of this episode. We went down so many rabbit holes and I'm excited that we got to chat about blogging because it's my favorite topic ever. So thank you for spending an hour here with us. And where should people go if they want to connect with you or be the best place? Sure. There's like a billion places, but the easiest is probably snackingandsneakers.com or buildawellnessblog.com and then I mean, I'm in Erica's Facebook group. I'm all over the place online. So I'm sure you won't have a problem finding me. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And for everyone who's looking for where to get the ebook and all that, I will put links to everything, any um, product or uh, website or resource that we mentioned in this episode in the show notes on my website at theunconventionalrd.com. This is episode 19. So if you want to check it out, you can easily find it there and have easy access to everything. So thanks again, Chrissy. And um, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. 
I hope you guys loved that episode as much as I did. Again, just head to theunconventionalrd.com slash episode 019 to get the links to anything that we talked about and connect with me and Chrissy um, in my Unconventional RD Facebook community if you want to chat with us more kind of one-on-one. We hang out there every single day and are always answering questions about blogging and online business, so that's probably the best place to go to connect with either of us. And again, don't forget, I am hosting a free Make Money blogging webinar on Wednesday, May 13th. Yes, if you can't make it live, if you sign up in advance, you'll get a replay. So you don't have to miss out if you can't make that specific time, but you do need to register in advance. So again, you can find the registration link in the show notes for this episode at theunconventionalrd.com slash episode 019. Thanks, guys, and I will see you at the webinar.